Good morning. Oh, we can do better than that. Good morning. All right, great. Great to see you this morning. If you're first time here visiting this morning, my name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Mission View Church, and we're so glad that you came to worship with us this morning. We've been in a sermon series in 1 Corinthians talking about unity. And one of the main things that we've kind of figured out as Paul's written this letter to the church in Corinth is that one of the keys to unity, the keys uh, um, to really fighting division in the church, we found out that the church in Corinth was a mess, very divided. But one of the keys that Paul's really pointing out to finding unity is humility. So that's kind of one of the themes that we've seen Paul talk about. And we're going to talk a little bit more about it today, maybe a little bit more in depth than we have in the last couple of weeks. But if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be in the second half of chapter 4 today. Man, I was um, watching a documentary just a few weeks ago. As we're going to be talking about pride here in just a minute. This story goes along with it. And um, it was a, um, a UFC fighter documentary, and it was um, kind of how uh, two famous fighters in the UFC made the UFC kind of famous. And uh, the Huntington Beach bad boy, are there any UFC people in here? The, yeah, I see a couple of hands. The Huntington Beach bad boy, I think that was the one guy's name. And the other guy's name was the Iceman. Now, you don't have, you don't have names like that. And um, not have a little bit of self-confidence, right? Huntington Beach bad boy and the Iceman. I mean, uh, you have to have a little bit of confidence. Um, but what I would probably point out from the documentary is pride. So there's these two guys, the fighters in the UFC, and they do phenomenally well. Mixed martial arts, jiu-jitsu, all this stuff that they've learned and practiced their entire lives. And, and it takes them to the very pinnacle of their careers. Now, it's kind of funny to find out that these two guys were like best friends in the beginning. They would go to each other's fights and cheer each other on. They would actually train together and, and spar together and prepare one another for their next fights. And, and they were like, like brothers. You can see them celebrating at the end of some of their fights. And, and then all of a sudden, something happened. Um, I, I think they got a few wins under their belts, and they got a little prideful. And that pride caused massive division. So you had these two guys that were like best friends who spent their lives together 24-7, working out and sparring and, and fighting and encouraging one another to this massive fight that is still out today. I mean, these guys can't stand each other now. But here's another thing that pride did. It didn't just divide them and destroy their relationship. It actually really put them in harm's way. The Bible says that pride comes before a fall. And we, I saw in this documentary, I saw a huge, huge fall with both of these guys. They got to be of the age where you should hang up the gloves. I mean, there, there comes, there's certain sports uh, that you play, actually most sports you play, there comes a time when you're going to either hang up the basketball shoes, you're going to hang up the football cleats, or you're going to hang up the boxing gloves. And these guys had gotten to that point, and then some. I mean, way past the point. And um, really, specifically, the Iceman, I mean, he's, he's talking about how he should go into the ring, and he's like, my age, you know, old. That means old. He's really old. And he, he says, no, this is who I am, and I can, I can still win these fights. And he's putting himself in harm's way, and you can see the damage that it's actually doing to his body. You know, sin leads to death. And the sin in our lives, if we're not careful, if we don't watch out for these things, it, you know, it can kill us. 
And I was just so shocked at how pride had blinded these, both of these guys who were phenomenal athletes, smart guys, smart businessmen, but had gotten them to a point where they were putting their physical well-being at risk and you could actually see the fall. I remember uh, in the documentary, the guy who runs the UFC, Dana White, um, he actually brings these guys aside and says, listen, I'm not going to give you any more fights. It is, it's killing you. And so they just went off to some other fight company and, and did their fights there. Pride blinds us to our own blindness. And as we see here in 1 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 8, Paul's going to point out, I think, well, more than three, but three that I really want us to kind of grasp and wrap our minds around. Three things that pride does to us as, we, as it takes hold of our lives. Let's go ahead and pray before we read God's word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And as we've studied 1 Corinthians, the first four chapters here, God, I just pray that these principles, these truths that, that Paul communicated to the church in Corinth, that these truths we would learn by the power of your Holy Spirit to apply these truths to our lives, specifically here at Mission View Church, that we would be a church unified for your glory and for your kingdom. God, help us to, to be self-sacrificing, to view others as better than ourselves, and, and to seek out your glory more than our own. God, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to look into your word this morning, that we don't have to come together in hiding like many people do around the world today, but we can come here at a, a public high school, open your word, and, and hear from you, Father. So we entrust this time to you. We know that your Holy Spirit is here, active in our midst. Bring these truths to life. Change us by your power for your glory and your kingdom. Use me, Father, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start here in verse 8. Now, I, before I jump into this, I just want to point out, you're going to see a lot of exclamation points and a lot of statements that Paul's making here. This is um, satire or sarcasm from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. Just want to make that really clear as he says this. Already, he says to the church, you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you might want to underline or circle that statement there, powerful statement. Though you, you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me, that is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon. 
if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with a love in a spirit of gentleness? All right, God's word for us today. I want to point out that those first couple of verses there where Paul's really just laying them out, man. A really hard word here. And I think that, that the pride had taken hold of them. He talks about the arrogance and stuff there at the end of the, the chapter. And I think pride had really taken root of them. So, so Paul's really just going direct at them. He says, look, you don't even know who you are. You don't even know what you're doing. And, and what they had really lost is something that we have to have as Christians. And it's the first spilling in your notes today. It's this, is that Christians are lifelong learners. The church in Corinth had lost that. They were not being lifelong learners. They were acting as if they had arrived. They, they had acting as if they were completely sanctified or there was no more change that God could actually do in them. They were happy with where they are. So you could write under that first point this, pride stunts our discipleship growth. Pride stunts our growth. St- pride stunts our sanctification. And Paul just points this out really sarcastically. And in these sarcastic, direct, powerful statements, I want to pull out three things, three ways pride will stunt your discipleship. And the first one is this. Pride leads to complacency. Pride leads to complacency. In Philippians 3.12, it says this. Not that I have already obtained all this. Now, this is Paul talking to the church in Philippi, and he's given them this list of of things about sanctification and glorifying the Lord and and the the Christian walk. And he says, right, this is the Apostle Paul, the guy who God used to write nearly two-thirds of the New Testament. Not that I have already obtained this. You could say that Paul was a lifelong learner. Paul understood that there's a war that goes on inside of us, that that the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God lives inside of us, but there's a flesh that lives inside of us, and there's this spiritual war going on all the time in us and for us, and you have this, like, you see pictures of it that the world draws today, even in, like, comic strips and stuff, right? You have this, there's, like, this little devil on the right shoulder, right? And then over here on this side, there's this angel, and the devil's always like, Oh yeah, you should get even. You should, you should, you should, you should strike back at this person that's gone after you. But then you have the, the little angel over on the other side, and, and it's like, no, you should be nice. You should be kind. And you see it even in cartoons or comic strips. You see this idea, and it's real. There's a spiritual aspect of this that we see all throughout Scripture. That the very Spirit of God is is moving in our hearts and changing us and growing us. Now, there's a lot of people who have been walking with the Lord for a while. How many of you here, by just a show of hands real quick, can look back at your life from a year ago and say, man, God has really changed me this past year? Now, if you don't have your hand raised, look at all these. Go ahead and keep them real raised. This is God's work in our lives, right? We're proud of God's work in us, right? Not us. Look at, if you don't have your hand raised, look at these people whose lives have been changed by the glory of God. You can put your hands down. Look at what God does in and through our lives as we humble ourselves and submit ourselves to God's truth and his word. He is faithful. God is faithful. And there is a testimony of his work in every hand that was raised this morning. But pride stunts our discipleship or our growth by by complacency in our lives. You know, pride thinks we've already arrived. 
Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or I've already been made perfect or spiritually mature. Now get this, he says, but I press on. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What a scripture. I press on. This is, this is the sweat, blood, and tears of the work of God in us. And as we just go after it, because he took hold of me. That's the power. That's the power of sanctification and the work of the Spirit in us is that the almighty, all-powerful God has taken hold of us. There should be some huge amens right there. That is an amazing truth point that, that Paul's making, God's making through Paul, that we press on and try, take hold of what God has given us because God, through Christ, has taken hold of us. This is amazing truth from the Apostle Paul. And it's something that, you know, the church in Corinth, they had just lost sight of. Lost sight of. Think about this, too. As Paul's saying these kinds of things, this is the guy, this is the apostle that this, they said this about him in Acts 19. God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So that, get this, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. That's the apostle Paul. Like, I don't know about you, but nobody's ever come to me asking for my handkerchief. Anybody? Anybody just say, hey, can I borrow your apron? My friend is sick. You'd be like, what's my apron gonna do? No, that's the apostle Paul. But then... Such, a, such a, a miraculous work of God in, in all of his life. And he says, I haven't arrived yet. I'm just not there. This perfection, this spiritual maturity. How? how? I mean, how, how does he say that? I mean, he, Jesus came to him face to face, called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And then you see this kind of miracle stuff. I mean, if anybody's arrived, it'd be Paul, Right? No. How, so how does Paul get there? How can, we get there? how can we not be complacent in this journey we call Christianity? We have to remember. This is what Paul gets, man. He so gets it. We have to remember the basics. When we talk about perfection, when we talk about righteousness, when we talk about good, when we talk about these things, we use these words, we throw them around kind of lightly and, and, and at anything, right? Like, oh, that was really... That cheesecake was amazing. That, that game was awesome. That was the perfect game. That was this, and all, we say these words all the time. And we use them, not ultimately, but just throwing them out there. There's only, as, as we look at this, spiritual maturity, and we talk perfection biblically, these are words used scripturally as ultimate. And when we look at ultimate, what do we look at? Paul says, don't look at the apostles. Don't look at the disciples. Don't look at that TV preacher or whoever it may be. Who do we look to? The only perfect, the only awesome, the only righteous Jesus Christ. 
That's how Paul walks in humility and can say the things that he says is because he's not comparing himself to Peter. He's not comparing himself to Apollos. He's not comparing himself to these other teachers that the church in Corinth were worshiping. He compares himself to Christ. So a guy whose handkerchief heals the sick, who we look at and we're just like, mind blown, says, no, 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 no. We are nothing. Christ is everything. Don't compare yourself to that person you're sitting next to right now. Don't compare yourself to the person in the back row or the guys running sound or me. We can only look to Christ. And as you look at his perfect life, the perfect love that he, he shared. I love um, meeting people who are new to Christ. Sharing Christ, leading people to the Lord. The very first thing I share with them is you got to just jump into this book. And here's a perfect place to start. And here's the funny thing. Most people start, you know, when you read a book, you start, where do you start? In the beginning, right? When you just pick up a book, you're just like, okay, so I'll start in Genesis. And there's some really cool stories in Genesis, and there's really great stuff in there. But this is a big book, right? I think the best place to start, if you're new to Christianity, is, is in one of the Gospels. And I, I would say probably the Gospel of John. Okay, so that's like fourth book in the New Testament. But this is actually 66 books. And these 66 books are written about one person. One, God Almighty and his son Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. The one, the three in one God that is our creator God. And the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the story of our God. And, the, well, this whole book is about our God, but it, it's Jesus in the flesh, the incarnation. John tells the story of Jesus in the flesh. So everything Jesus did, his perfect love, his perfect life, everything he said was what God says, how God acted, how God responds. It's this beautiful picture of all of these things. But pride leads to complacency. How do we avoid complacency and pride in that way? Focusing on Christ. Let's go on in these, these same ideas here. Looking in verse 9, we find our second pitfall of pride. For I think that God has exhibited us as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. Now, what's Paul doing here? He is painting us a picture of who the apostles are in Christ. They didn't become apostles so they could just fill their bank accounts. They didn't become apostles so they could heal the sick. They didn't become apostles because it just sounded like a good thing to do. God chose them. And it wasn't a choosing of, of being popular. It wasn't a choosing of becoming revered. It wasn't a choosing. It was a choosing of death, a sentence of death, becoming a spectacle to the world of angels and men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. Paul, Paul knows who he is. Paul knows what God has called him to and what that means for his life. But the church in Corinth had lost it. They had lost sight of who they are. Second thing about pride is it leads us to self-assurance. Self-assurance. Pride lets us magnify what we know and blinds us to what we do not know. It magnifies what we know and blinds us to what we do not know. They were wise, but the apostles and teachers were fools. 
I love learning new things. It's great. You know, as, as we search God's word and, and, uh, or read books or pray or meet with a mentor and you're growing, I don't know about you, but like when I get, when I learn something new, a new truth or whatever, I'm just like, ooh, this is really, really good. And what I want to do with that is like I want to share it with everybody. I'm like, oh man, did you, did you know that when you do this and this or if you add this together with this together, it works like this and it's, it's just amazing how... The truth changes our lives, and then we just want to share it with everybody. I think we have a tendency to do that in our spirituality. I think that's kind of what the church of Corinth had gotten to. They had been hearing these really amazing preachers and teachers. God was doing amazing works in their life. They had heard the truth of the gospel. Their lives had went from death to life. God did a spiritual surgery in them and took out a heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh, and God had changed them. Life changing from death to life. And they, they had grasped on to a truth that had come from, from these teachers, and they started to elevate these teachers, and that was their thing. You don't understand, this is amazing. And what turned out at first to be a really good thing, this miraculous work of God through the preaching of the gospel, that is a good thing actually became a God thing in their lives. As opposed to the gift giver who gives these things, they were focusing on this truth in the, or this teacher that had given it to them and idolized these things. We have a tendency to do the same thing in our lives. We can take good things and make them God things, and that's always a bad thing. God is the only one who deserves to sit on the throne of our hearts. But I think that's how they had gotten there. They had received a really amazing, life-changing thing, and they just started to live there, as opposed to, God, what's next? In this journey called Christianity, God, God what is the next truth? They had forgotten that, that it wasn't, wasn't just a, a short revelation of God or that instant revelation of God. It was a constant revelation of God, that we can never search out the depths and the breadth of the whole amazingness of God. God has more for us than just right now. We go through seasons in our Christianity where God starts dealing with the things in our lives. And it, he doesn't do it all at once. And I think one of the reasons he doesn't do it all at once is because if we saw ourselves for how we really are, I think we would just fall to pieces. I think God, by his grace, starts to reveal in us just the things that he wants to change one by one, sometimes two by two or three by three. But for me, most of the time, it's one thing at a time. You know, I look back 15 years ago as he started really dealing with sin issues in my life. It was, it was like, man, I'm really glad he dealt with that. And then a year later, wow, I'm, I'm really glad he dealt with that. And it would, it'd be easy for us as Christians to look back at our lives and be like, man, at three years in, I was doing really, really good. I, I could have just stalled out right there because I was happy with where I was, because I believed I was something I wasn't yet. We have a tendency to just see so temporary when God sees so eternally. We can't be self-assured. We need to be God-assured. And that takes constant, fresh revelation from him, who he is, and who we are. This goes hand in hand with the, 
um, last pitfall of, of pride that we find in verse 11, 12, and 13. It says this, To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. The last thing I want to point out here about pride is that pride leads to a lack of self-awareness. In Revelation 3.17, it says, You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Pride leads to a lack of self-awareness. Just like that story I shared about those UFC fighters, they had no idea no idea the damage they were doing to their minds. They were blind to their own blindness. There's a difference in celebrating success and finding our identity in our success. The idea, this thought of in Revelation 3.17, this I am rich, or is it God has entrusted to me much that I must steward and be held accountable for in the end. Biblically celebrating success puts God in the center of that celebration. Finding my identity in success makes me the center. Then, when failure comes my way, my identity falls apart. I start to self-loathe because I failed and my identity is in that victory. Now it's in that failure. When God is at the center of my celebration, of my victory, then when failure comes, I run and trust him. I run to and trust him, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, the one who has a plan, the one who will care for me and be with me. I'm not falling apart I am actually being handcrafted by my creator. We have to keep Christ at the center. Christ at the center. All right, those are three things that, three ways that pride can stunt our disciple, discipleship and our growth in the Lord. Let's move on to verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed. I love how Paul kind of transitions here. He was he was giving this really stern, sarcastic rebuke, really, to the church in Corinth. And, and now we're going to hear kind of this soft heart, this father's heart um, of God, really, through the Apostle Paul. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you. This word admonish means to correct or, or beckon you back to righteousness. This is an endearing term. I want, I want what's best for you. I'm admonishing you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in the church. So the second filling in your notes is this. There is a difference between a guide and a father. There's a difference between a guide and a father. 
Now, this word for guide is a really fun Greek word. I don't, you know, bring out a whole lot of Greek and Hebrew all the times when I preach, but this is a fun one. Now, you get to say this. It's paedagogos. Can you say paedagogos? Oh, that was really bad. Paedagogos. That's a fun word, isn't it? Paedagogos. It's a fun word. This was a word that they used for servants who would take the young men to school and kind of guide them and correct them and keep them safe as they were going to school. This was the word for guide that Paul is talking about. It's a servant that, that really just kind of hovered around the kids and he, he would do this or she would do this for room and board or whatever it may be. This was just their job. A guide would watch over, protect, and point in the right direction, but a guide cannot replace a father. A father loves, cares for, disciplines, corrects. A father invests, plans, and leaves an inheritance. A father has the child's best interests in mind. A father knows their children better than anyone else. He has watched them grow up, knows their weaknesses and failures, their successes and victories. He speaks into their life with insight and authority like no other. The major difference between the love and care of a father or father figure here as we're looking at Paul in the church and a leader guide is the selfless, gracious care a father gives. You can have people in your life that are father figures. That's what we're getting here from Paul. He's the father figure of the church in Corinth and and many others. And we can have people in our life like that. But the difference between a leader guide and a father figure is the answer to this question. Do they care about you and your spiritual well-being or do they care more about their organization and what you can give them or what uh, you can bring them? Now, Paul is able to say this about himself. This is crazy. He's like, I'm your father. Do like me. Look at my life. I'm the model, right? And you're just going, oh my gosh. We're supposed to look to Christ. We look to Christ. But here's what Paul's getting at. Paul's able to say this about himself and use this example because it is the purpose and calling of the apostles and of pastors to act as a loving father would act, modeled by Father God. The true calling of pastors is the care of the flock to and for the glory of God. Not building a huge church or a personal kingdom, but building God's kingdom. This, in and of itself, is a humble and selfless cause and should be the foundation of pastoral ministry. But get this, not just pastoral ministry, but all Christian living. All Christian living. Because it changes, God changes who we are. And God changes how we respond and how we live out our lives, how we respond to struggles and strife. We become Christ-centered people, not Matt-centered or, or whoever you are. We, don't, we are not self-centered people. We are a God-centered people. So this, this idea of Paul saying, do as I do, he's saying, look, be Christ-centered. Don't be self-centered. As, as much and as far as I follow the Lord in this, follow me in this. That's what Paul is saying. This Christ-centered life, it changes how we respond to the world. It changes how we respond to people who are coming after us. Think about it this way. Like if somebody were to come to you and verbally attack you, our human nature is that we would attack back, right? Defend ourselves or strike back right away. 
That's not how God would have us respond. And that's not how we respond in the power of the Spirit that lives in us. As we become more and more Christ-centered, we become more and more concerned about others' sanctification and salvation than we are concerned about ourselves. Think about this as as there's arguments in your life, as there's strife in your life, as there's struggles in your life. Maybe it's that coworker at work that's always getting on your nerves, always attacking your faith, always attacking the way you work. Maybe it's a boss or maybe it's a family member, you know? When you're put into those situations, what are you more concerned about? Getting even? Standing up for yourself, making sure that you're right, winning the argument? Or are we more concerned about their salvation? Maybe they don't know the Lord yet. Or are we more concerned about their sanctification? That's the change in the work of the Holy Spirit that only God can do inside of us. That's the spiritual maturity Paul's talking about that we need to grow into. There's a great challenge here for us, Mission View Church. That God would do a work and change us as we respond to suffering, as we respond to strife in our lives. We all need someone in our lives, a mentor, a father figure, who's going to challenge us and say the hard things when he sees us going down a wrong path. Somebody who's going to come along, and it's not going to be the cheerleader. Now, they'll be a cheerleader from time to time. But they're going to be a person that's going to speak truth. They're going to say, listen, listen, that's really self-centered. That's, that's, not, that's not kingdom of God-centered. They'll say the hard things in love. That's what a father figure does. And that's really what Paul's doing to the church in Corinth as he goes in this section, right? Let's move on, verse 20. Paul goes on, he says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? I felt like he was bringing the rod as we started today. Did you guys, did you guys feel that at all? Like, I, you know, in those sarcastic statements, I was just, as I'm reading through, I was like, ugh. Wow, right? That was, that was some hard stuff. I, f- I felt that a little bit last week too, right? We had to ask ourselves some really hard questions, you know, as, as we were, what do we surrender to the Lord? And, and I trust that God was doing amazing work in your hearts. I know he did in mine as we were asking those really hard questions last week. But the third point in your notes, and really what I want to bring out of this is, is what Paul says, the power of the kingdom of God. He's talking about the power of the kingdom of God. Basically, it's this, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Where is your walk? We can talk about theology. We can talk about the gospel. We can talk about what it means to be a Christian, but that is cheap. What it really comes down to is the way that we live our lives. Is there fruit to our Christianity? The hard questions we were asking last week. What are we doing with our time, our talents, and our treasures? You may be doing great with time and talent. 
You may be spending your time serving in the church or, or serving on the worship team or in the children's ministry, but what are you doing with your treasures? Or maybe you're doing great with your treasures and you're giving generously and sacrificially, but all you do is show up on Sunday mornings, not using the gifts that God has given you for the kingdom of God. What are we doing? The power of the kingdom of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ lived out in our lives. That's what Paul's getting at. He talks, he's, he's used all these amazing words to describe the gospel. That's the key of this whole first four chapters is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And he's used different words like these mysteries of God. And he uses the kingdom of God is this power of the kingdom of God is the gospel lived out in our lives. It's not just talking with eloquence. It's not just opening up the Bible and saying, you know, short, true statements. It's the fruit that comes out of what is said and what we believe. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the power that Paul's talking about. We can't be a church that just comes in here and sits and hears a good word or listens to good music on Sunday mornings. It's pointless and meaningless. Paul's saying, listen, there has to be fruit and I'm coming. Paul says, I am coming. There's a bunch of arrogant men there. They don't think that I'm coming, but Lord willing, I'm coming. How do you want me to come? You want me to come with a rod? Or do you want me to come with a spirit of gentleness? Living out that, that he talked about in Philippians, that scripture, that pressing on, grabbing hold of, because he's grabbed hold of me. The power of the kingdom of God. Only when we recognize, hear me on this, Mission View, only when we recognize the hope for us and our world, the only truth for us and our world, the only life for us and our world is Jesus. Only when we realize that will we see the power of the kingdom of God in our lives and around us. This is the key to revival, renewal, kingdom power. We need, you, now you're sitting out there, Matt, I get the gospel. You preach the gospel every week. In fact, I'm getting sick of hearing it. You're just, you're just saying the same thing over and over again. This is what we don't get. I will say it over and over again every week till I die or Jesus take, you know, takes me home, whatever, because the gospel of Jesus Christ is the motivation and the power of what Paul's getting at. Don't sit out there and think, I understand the gospel. That's what Corinth's doing. And he's saying, knock it off. Because the gospel is so much more than the realization of Christ saving you. It is the realization that God is changing you right now. That's the power of the kingdom of God. He loves you too much to leave you how you are. So he is right now, by the power of his spirit, changing you and growing you. Don't get caught up in this self-assurance, this, this blind pride, pride that, that Corinth had fallen into. The gospel, the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the power of the kingdom of God and the person of Jesus Christ can never be searched out fully. It will never be fully realized until we see Jesus Christ face to face in that day. But until then, church, God's challenge to you and me today is that we would come to the cross every day. I like to paint the picture this way. Christ hanging on a cross. When I first met Jesus, I saw him hanging from a cross from a distance. And as soon as I saw him, my heart broke. 
I fell to my knees in repentance, and I gave my life to Jesus. Now that journey of Christianity is a step forward and a step forward and a step forward, and the closer I get, the more details I see of his glorious grace. The glorious grace of God in Christ crucified for me. I saw him from a distance at first, but the closer I get, I see his wounds. I see his beaten body, not even recognizable. And he draws me closer and closer. And I see him from the side where they pierced him, where they murdered him. This journey of Christianity isn't just a recognition and realization of the gospel of Jesus Christ for our salvation. It's a continual, fresh revelation of the gospel that motivates us into our sanctification and change. Don't let your hearts become callous to the gospel. We need to be drawn to our knees, weeping in repentance, and then leaping for joy because of the power of God in the person of Jesus Christ, that I'm not the person I was five years ago. And he's continually changing me and growing me. That, that is the purpose of the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians. This pride will lead us to division, this pride of thinking that we've already wrapped our minds around the whole of the gospel this mystery, this power of the kingdom. But we, Mission View Church, will be a humble people. We will trust that God is going to bring us a fresh revelation of who he is and what he's done through his son, Jesus Christ. Every Sunday, every community group, every morning when we wake up and we open our Bibles for our quiet time, every day when we're driving in our cars and we're playing that worship music and singing along, we are trusting that God is going to open our eyes and, and take away the fog that exists in our minds so that we can see Christ for who he is more and more and more, changing us more and more and more. Amen? That is the good news that we find in the first chapters of 1 Corinthians. And that's the end of our series on unity. We want to be a unified church, and the gospel is what's going to keep us unified. The gospel is what's going to keep us humble, and God's going to use it to grow us and change us. I'm so excited about what God's doing here in our church. I'm, man, I'm really excited to start our new sermon series, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 next week. Now, Paul, I'll give you a little sneak preview. Paul has been talking about, you know, unity in the church. He has addressed pride issues. And um, it's going to get real, real next week. Uh, he goes from talking about unity in the church to sin in the church. I mean, he's going to just start laying it out. And uh, we have like, I think it's like a five-week series. And it's, I think it's called God Meets Us in Our Mess. And so it's going, to be, it's going to be a powerful series of how God works in our lives and continues this gospel idea and then applies it to really different situations in life that we live through. So it's going to be a really powerful series. I'm excited to share that with you starting next week. So anyways, let's go ahead and pray uh, before we sing our closing song today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We are so humbled that we can even come and open this book 
And you show up, Father. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you make this truth ring to life in our hearts. I just pray for everyone here and everyone watching on our live stream, God, that you would continue the work of the gospel, the salvation and sanctifying work of Jesus Christ in our lives. And right now, Father, we just admit and we confess that we are completely and totally dependent on a work of the power of the Holy Spirit. So come and be God in our midst. Come and do what only you can do in our lives, Father. Thank you for your work of unity, for your work of humility in us. We surrender our lives to you and we say, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.